is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. It's a great joy to have Terry and Wendy Virgo with us today, both this morning and again this evening. Terry is the founder of New Frontiers, the family of churches that we're part of. And uh, for many years, uh, for me, Terry was uh, a conference speaker, an author, and uh, somebody I knew from afar, and you had founded the group of churches, the family that we're part of. Uh, but it's been a, a real joy in recent years as our paths have crossed a little bit more from different things that we've been involved with together to get to know Terry and Wendy a little bit. And uh, it's a real privilege to have you both here this morning. I'm so glad, glad that you're here and you've, you've made it. Thank you for being with us. And so I want you to receive Terry uh, really warmly and enthusiastically as he brings God's words to us this morning. Let's welcome Terry. Thank you, Terry. Thank you so much. Apologise for being late. We got kind of lost and uh, took a bit longer than we anticipated. So it's super to be here. A great, comfortable place. If you're still awake when I finish, it would be quite a feat, really. They look terribly comfortable. And uh, it's, uh, it's been a joy to be part of your worship and uh, sense God's presence here. So I'm so thrilled, actually. Remember when Graham first came here? And uh, as it were, starting from nothing, it's always... A great joy to then see uh, a church growing and to feel God is with you in that. Uh, we've had a good weekend uh, this weekend in Nottingham with our leaders coming in from all over the UK. And it's great to now come and be in one of our churches uh, in this area. I'm going to be reading from John's Gospel and Chapter 2. I'm uh, reading from the NASB, so one or two words will differ. If you are following in a different translation, like the NIV or something, but the differences will be very few. Okay, so John's Gospel, chapter 2, where we read this. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, The mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour hasn't yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. There were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, draw some out now. Take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and didn't know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. When the people have drunk freely, then he serves poorer wine but you've kept a good wine till now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the 
amazing stories we read. We thank you, Jesus, for your invasion of people's lives, Lord, their parties, their weddings, their crises. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you come right into our lives. We thank you, know us through and through. And Lord, we, we just bless you that we, we do. We come into this place, we shut the door, we're with God. And Father, we thank you so much. You said shut the door, speak to your Father in secret. Your Father knows what you need. And so Father, we, we're here with you. We ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, right now. Please come and take these words. Let them live to us. Let us feel that you're speaking right into our inner being. Come and do us good here today. We do pray, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm reminded this morning as uh, we came in a bit late of uh, an elder in my home church in Brighton where I used to be, was for some 30 years, moved more recently. And uh, he came one morning and uh, as he came in, you know, took the little leaflet, probably you've got as you came in, just uh, giving the announcements for the week. And uh, we've got these kind of bleachers around the side of our building. And he went and sat there with his wife and his children and just getting them more comfortable. And then he opened the leaflet and uh, he read there, and his name was Steve Horn. And he, looked, and he, looked, he said, today Steve Horn is preaching in Heathfield. So I thought, oh yes, yes. And so he turned to his wife and said goodbye, rushed out got the car, and drove the 30 miles or so uh, to Heathfield, and reckons he got there in time to preach, and uh, I mean, pretty scary, eh? I remember once when I was at Stonely Bible Week, which uh, if any of you came to that ancient conference, um, it grew and grew and grew and grew till, to be honest, we were 28,000 in the last uh, few years, so, you know, you have the privilege when you're speaking to looking out of a sea of faces, thousands and thousands of people, and I remember one evening when I uh, was about to preach it was my uh, opportunity to uh, take a second session in a series I was doing a three I think and uh, uh, we just had all this great worship time and uh, as I'm uh, uh, just at the back of what was a huge platform actually and I'm, I'm just sitting there and uh, Nigel Ring is making the announcements and I just sit and I open my Bible uh, just to uh, refresh myself about the notes and get just get my mind clear again about what I'm going to preach. And I, I open my Bible and uh, there's yesterday's notes. I, I know. Uh, and I'm looking, and I'm looking. Where are my notes? My notes aren't here. And I'm looking out at this sea of faces. And I think, oh God, I'm up in a second. And uh, I, can't, I can't preach this uh, uh, without the notes. So I, I, I was on the platform, I remember, I remember thinking, I just sort of got off the platform there. And uh, I went outside because it was a great big camping area, acres of uh, people in tents and caravans, and uh, and I'm running across to where my stuff is, and and there's you know girls out there with their little babies and buggies, and what's Terry Vogel running over there for? And I'm flandering all that to my place, getting my stuff, I'm running back down again, and uh, I just got on the platform. I thought, wait for the embarrassment, and there was one extra item. I thought, oh. Thank you, Jesus. I've forgotten. There was, I've forgotten what it is now, but somebody was invited up to say something. And I thought, oh, thank you, God. And I'm just sitting down, and, and I'm puffing and panting and wiping away the perspiration. And, oh, God. And uh, you think, what's he telling us these stupid stories for? Well, really, this, this 
story that I've just read to you. It's a kind of an embarrassing story. It's a wedding, and uh, it's in a village called Cana, which is really was a, probably a small village. Uh, had the privilege of visiting Israel once or twice, and went to Cana, and it's like a bustling little town now. But it would have been a tiny village then, and a wedding would have probably gathered virtually the whole village. It would have been a big, big historic kind of that. Would you remember the wedding on such and such a date when the wine ran out? I mean, the shame of it, the sense of, oh, what a terrible thing to happen, that they should run out, that they should suddenly find they don't have what they need. They can't, they can't, that sense, I've let everybody down. That's why I give these two illustrations, that you can, you can be in situations where you feel, I can't, I've let everyone down. I've run out. And actually, when you look at the story, and the Bible is always relevant to us, it, the, the, the turn of the story comes when she says, Mary says to Jesus, they have no more wine. And, and for this morning, maybe we could put a different word in there. They have no more answers. They have no more hope. They have no more energy. There's no more time. There's no more money. There's no more peace of mind. Maybe you've come out this morning and you think, I don't know, I've not got much left to give. And we can come to such times. When you think, I've, I've not got what it takes somehow to keep this Christian life going. You seem to need more than I've got. And you can feel that. You can feel, I don't know how people cope. Maybe you're a single mum. You think, I don't know, how, I just can't cope anymore. Maybe you're a student. You think, I wish I'd never taken on this course. It's out of my reach. I, I, don't, I was stupid starting it. I haven't got what it takes to do this. You can be a successful businessman, actually, and doing very well, and everybody thinks, wow, he's got it so together. But at work, they're saying, we just want to aim a bit further for you. We've got uh, all kinds of ideas for your development. And then at home, the, the children saying, why are you away so often, Dad? And then the church says, well, you're a great guy. We'd like you doing a cell group and... God, how much more people want from me? It can happen to us in so many ways. We just don't know how can we give any more. And this is a story about people who've run out, actually. But actually, it's not yet publicly known. It's under the surface. As you look at the party, you think, wow, this is a great wedding. Tremendous fun, wonderful day for the bride and groom. They're all dancing around, enjoying it. And it's just under the surface, there's a crisis brewing. And nobody knows about it yet. It's just that you know you're running out. And maybe, like these people, had told a close friend, they told Mary. They told Mary, Mary, we're, getting out, we're running out of to make it. Maybe you've spoken to someone close to you and said, I don't know how we're going to get through. I don't know how I'm going to make it. Well, this, this Bible story is for such people. People who feel, I'm not sure I've got much more to give. I don't know that I'm going to make this. I'm not sure I'll get through. Now let's just remind ourselves why John wrote his gospel and this is called the first of the signs. You may notice that came in the reading. This was the first sign that Jesus fulfilled. Now John, uniquely of all the four gospel writers, calls seven of his miracles signs. They're not just a healing or a miracle, feeding the thousands, giving uh, sight to the blind. It's not only that the actual event happened, 
John calls them signs, they're pointers. Coming up here, you know, you're looking for pointers off the M1 and you're, you're looking for the signs. And these, these are signs. And John was quite deliberate in why he wrote his gospel. It's good to remember that. He didn't write aimlessly, he wrote with purpose. He records it quite plainly towards the end of his gospel when he says in uh, John 20, 30, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written, so he's got a goal, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So he's got a very real reason for writing it. He's writing all these stories so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's why he's writing You need to look at these facts. Look at what Jesus did. Assess them. Consider them. And not only know it, not only say, oh yeah, okay, so Jesus lives. Like, so, okay, Julius Caesar lived. No, it's not just, believe, not just believing that he is the Christ, but believing you might have life. When you actually come to believe, something happens to you. When you actually come to see Jesus is the Christ, you come alive on the inside. At these days we've just had together, our prayer days and fellowship days uh, over in Nottingham, this last couple of days we heard a story of uh, uh, some Islamic people, and particularly an Islamic woman who had dreams of Jesus and met Jesus, and, and she come to believe he's the Christ. Now she has life. She's been changed, transformed. Overshadowing into her family. Others are coming to find. So it's not just knowing he's the Christ, it's when you know it, something happens to you on the inside. I don't come from a Christian background, but when I suddenly knew and, and heard the gospel, that's true. And when you know it's true, something happens. You suddenly get life, a new energy kicks in, new motivations, all sorts of things happen. So that's why he wrote. Okay, so let's come to the story realizing that's what's behind it, there's purpose behind it. And as we look at it, even this morning, something can be happening to us. It's a dynamic thing. Hearing the word of God proclaimed is a dynamic thing. It's not just a kind of a lecture. And so here he says, it's a wedding. Okay, let's just back up. There was a wedding. Apparently, according to the commentators, uh, Jewish weddings at this period could sometimes be last seven days. They knew how to party, eh? Seven days. So running out of wine was a genuine risk. They had a seven-day event very often. And just notice this, the first thing. Jesus was happy to be at a party. And this is his first sign. You might think he would do his first sign in a more responsible place. And certainly uh, that was uh, Satan's idea when immediately Jesus had been baptised and it says the Spirit of God came upon him and the utterance came, this is my beloved son in whom I'm delighted. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You'd think maybe he'd do his first sign in a synagogue or a temple. But actually, he does it at a party. And Satan said to him, why don't you come up on a mountain top, hurl yourself down from the temple, do something grand and religious. Now Jesus is happy to do it at a party. Happy? Jesus, it's your concept of Jesus that he'd be happy to be at a party. Or do we think, oh no, I've come to Jesus, forget parties. Or, you know, parties are a different part of my life. I'm here on Sunday, I party the rest of the week. Or other days. 
Because well, you don't mix that, those things. Jesus and parties don't mix. Well, this very first sign is saying they do mix. That Jesus wants us to know he is happy to invade our lives. He's happy to come right into life, whatever life is, and even parties. He's happy to be there. And I can't imagine Jesus come kind of wallflower. I don't know about you, but I've seen movies. I've never actually attended, but I've seen movies of uh, Jewish weddings. I've seen documentaries. And you see guys, don't you? Not just girls. You see guys often arms locked around one another and they're dancing away. You think, wow, these guys know how to party. I can't imagine Jesus on the wallflower saying, okay, keeping step traps. You know, I'm sure Jesus would have been there. He's in it. This is what this is from. Jesus came, the word became flesh, we're told, and lived among us. He came to live life. He didn't come to just multiply meetings. Since I've come that you might have meetings and have them abundantly, he said, I've come that you might have life. And so he's very happy to fulfill his first sign at a party. It's wonderful. It's great to know Jesus, to get a real glimpse of what he was like. It's so sad, isn't it, when you see Hollywood trying to personify Jesus. It looks so miserable, isn't it? In the Hollywood movies, he's this mystical figure. Follow me. You think, why would they ever follow? He looks so sick. But Jesus, he said, my joy I give to you. You know, this guy went, my joy I give to you. I should keep it, you need every bit you've got. <laughs> you know, Jesus, Jesus was full of some vitality that was so attractive. So he's happy to be at a party. And also notice this, he's happy to be especially at a wedding party. He must take notes, his first sign Having at a wedding party. What's that saying? Well, I think it's saying at least what we often say at weddings when people are married. Very often in the marriage ceremony, the, the officiating minister will say something like this. Jesus, by his presence at the wedding of Cana, blessed marriage or underlined its significance or something of that order. And certainly we've got to see that. Jesus is happy to affirm marriage. He affirms marriage. Now, why, why a wedding? Well, let's just remember too about Jesus that how did John the Baptist introduce him? One of the things happened when John the Baptist preached, he was a phenomenal preacher and God was manifestly with him. So much so it says all Judea went out to hear him. That's probably the biggest revival in Israel's history. The whole nation went out to hear him. He's preaching in the desert and people, thousands must have poured out to hear him preach. And they said, are you the Messiah? Because they had this promise that one was going to come. The Bible is promising there's going to come a great one. He'll suddenly burst on the scene. Are you the one? He said, no, 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 no. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. That's how he describes himself. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. So Jesus is the bridegroom. In fact, if you look, if you look at the end of the book, what does it end with? The end of Revelation, it describes this great marriage supper of the Lamb where everything is kind of consummated. The love of Jesus for his church is fully displayed and demonstrated. A great banquet. And so everything is pointing towards a great wedding ceremony. So perhaps it's not so strange that his first sign should be at a wedding. Because Jesus is for marriage. Perhaps we should say that in the 21st century. Jesus is for marriage at a day when marriage is going out of date. When people are saying, I really love you, would you? And she's thinking, is he going to say, marry me, move in? Say, move in? 
let's just move in. Let's not get all tied up with that foolishness, you know, makes it so formal. Why sign documents? Why make promises? Let's just move in. Let's be spontaneous. Although the stats, the statistics, don't demonstrate that that's terribly successful, actually. If anything, the statistics say it's a bit of a dangerous way, but it's becoming so popular and, and it's missing the point. Because marriage is speaking of commitment. It's saying, forsaking all others, I give myself to you. There's a kind of devotion, there's a kind of delight, there's a kind of you and me we're for one another. And that's kind of going out the breeze because we're thinking, oh well, let's hitch up and maybe someone else will come along later and well, we'll see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. But Jesus is for marriage. In fact, marriage can be challenging. It can be one of the places where we do get scared. We're running out of wine. That can be one of the places that, where's the sparkle gone? How are we going to keep this going? It may be like this wedding, that under the surface, other people don't know, but maybe you've spoken to a very close friend and said, I don't know, we're running out. I don't know if I can keep this going. But this is what the Lord requires of us, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And, you know, these days people, they like, prefer their song, they prefer songs like, please release me, let me go. And, and people talk about, be true to your heart. You know, all the aunties in the newspapers. Well, be true to your heart. If you don't love her anymore, but you love the office girl, you know, just walk away. Be true. Be honest. You think, honest? I thought you vowed. But forsaking all others. For better, for worse. What is honest? And so people have so lost their way. But this is what the Lord requires. Do justly. Love mercy. The word is, the Hebrew word is chesed, in that famous verse in Micah. The love and actually the root, although it's, this word chesed is translated so many of us different ways. Steadfast love, loving kindness. It's, it's just translated so many different ways. But the root of the word is covenant. To love, covenant love. And sometimes when you hit a bumpy road in marriage or just a dry patch, this is what the Lord requires of you. To love, covenant love. To keep loving to keep working, to keep waiting, to keep looking, to work it through. Jesus is for marriage. Jesus would underline that. His first sign is fulfilled then at a wedding. Let's just note that. He's happy to be a party. He's happy to be at a wedding party. He's affirming marriage. Let's move on then in the story. And notice this. I expect you noticed as we read the strange kind of conversation with Mary. Did you notice that? Mary comes to him and uh, says to him, they've run out of wine. And Jesus' reply is really strange. He says, woman? I've never said that to my mother. Woman? If you use the NIV, you'll find the word dear is in the text. If you've got a borrow, cross it out. It's just not in the Greek. It isn't there. They've softened it a bit because well, it sounds so abrupt. Woman. But so they put dear in. You know, dear woman. But it just ain't there. Woman? Wow, what a way to speak. Now, we mustn't overstate it because, to be honest, even from the cross, where Jesus is dying in agony, he looks down and it says he sees Mary there and says to her, Woman, 
Behold your son, because John's standing there. He speaks to John, behold your, your mother. So, mustn't overstate it, but it's a funny way to speak. It's a strange way to address her. And uh, we might think, well, what, what's going on here? And even, even if we think, well, I don't know, that doesn't mean much, but what's the next phrase? It says in the NIV, why do you involve me? Or the NASB says, what do I have to do with you? Apparently, it's a difficult phrase to translate. It's a kind of, um, well, it's just strange. You'll find it comes elsewhere in the Gospels. And uh, if you translated it literally, word for word, it would be, what to me and to you? So they say, what have we got to do with you? What? Now, where have you heard that before? Where have I heard that for, before? I tell you where you've heard it before. It's in the Gospels, places like Matthew 8:29, when legion, the demon-possessed guy, and Jesus is walking towards legion, and you know, legion, we are many. You know, the legion, this guy's possessed, and he's, Jesus comes close, and he screams out, what have I got to do with you? Jesus, son of God. Wow. And Jesus uses the same language to his mother. Mother, what have I got to do? No, I'm sure he didn't say it like that. <laughs> but he actually uses the same phrase. He actually uses the same phrase. What is going on? Why? Well, let me just back up and say, what's, what is happening here? Jesus has been invited to a wedding. Now, Jesus has been in the home of Mary, his brothers, we were here reading about elsewhere in the Bible. You'll find it actually looks like Joseph. His name doesn't come up so much as the story goes on. Have you noticed? And most would feel probably Joseph died young-ish. Because he's just not mentioned as time goes on through the Gospel story. And so we could imagine that Jesus, the, if you like, as it were, the firstborn in the family, assumes that position of, I'm sure, like a rock for Mary. I mean, he's 30 before he begins his ministry. And he's in the carpenter's home. That's that's home. That's where he is. And so I can imagine for 30 years he would have been a magnificent rock for Mary. He would have been there for her. We know from the beginning when he was a little boy they went down to the temple and lost Jesus, it seems. They made the journey. And said, where's Jesus? Oh, they went back. And you remember the story. He's talking uh, in the temple to the scribes. And uh, they, uh, he goes with them, and it says, he was submissive to them. So Jesus was a perfect child. He grew up as a, as a perfect teenager. Can we just pause for a moment and think about it? <laughs> a perfect teenager. So, so right through, he went through his 20s. He would have, I'm sure that whenever Mary was in some kind of crisis, or need, or whatever, wouldn't he be just a wonderful, wonderful person to have, wouldn't he? That's been, that's been his life for 30 years, waiting, waiting, until the call comes. He's 30 years of age, and he begins his public ministry. The Spirit comes upon him, the voice from heaven, he's starting. And he's beginning to gather disciples. People, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they're beginning to, to follow him. He's, he's gathering his disciples. His ministry started, it's like he's crossed over a line. He's now a public figure, anointed by the Father, ready to fulfill the ministry that God sent him to fulfill. It's a new day that's starting. He's stepping into this new day. And yet here, there's a kind of an overlap. It's an overlap. He's, he's at a wedding, and I can imagine the word, don't forget Jesus, the wedding. Oh yeah, the wedding. 
That happens in our families, doesn't it? Oh, that clashes. Oh, it's the wedding. Yeah, we've got to go to the wedding. But Jesus is so, he's at the wedding. He overlaps into this social thing that he's expected to be there. His mother's there. He's there. But his disciples are there too. So there's two worlds are overlapping. This new life he's being called into, the, the family, the social context that they expected him to be in, it's overlapping. And so Jesus is in this context and suddenly Mary is kind of reaching back to Jesus in the way that it used to be. And so she needs to understand, Mary, there's a line drawn in the sand now. It's not like that anymore. I am no longer simply here for you. I think that's what it's about. In fact, D.A. Carson, the great Bible commentator, says this. The expression is at least a measured rebuke. We must not avoid the conclusion that Jesus, by rebuking his mother, however courteously, declares at the beginning of his ministry his utter freedom from any kind of human advice, agenda or manipulation. Let me just read that last bit again. He's declaring his utter freedom from any kind of human advice, agenda or manipulation. Mary, you just need to understand it's not like that anymore. Why, why am I underlining this? Why do I bring it to your attention? Because I think actually we're a bit like Mary sometimes. That when you first perhaps heard the gospel, it depends how you heard it and how it was presented to you and what you kind of took on board. But it's very possible to think, well, Jesus is just there for me. Uh, Jesus, I've got a problem. And sometimes people actually leave the church and you say, what happened to you? Oh, he didn't do anything for me. I thought I believed in God. Well, I had a problem. He didn't do anything for me. It's like, I thought he was supposed to do things for me. You know, I'm driving down the road, parking place, please, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Great. And, you know, you think, he's so good, isn't he? Parking, I find it so wonderful. It's Lord help. And, think, oh, he's just wonderful. Jesus there, he's just great. Uh, but it's a bit like, you know, get the old uh, genie out and rub it. Mm, Jesus, uh, do this, please. Okay. Let me run for you. Uh, no. That's not how it is. We missed the point. We have to understand that's not how it is. So isn't he interested then in solving? No, no, he solves the problem. He's, that's why the story, story is in the Bible. He solves the problem. But notice how he does it. He doesn't just solve it like a servant. He doesn't just solve it by jumping and saying, yes, master. He does it by completely taking over. This first sign he did at this wedding. And at this wedding, he takes over. That's, that's how the problem gets solved. That's hugely important. When I became a Christian, I never understood that. I simply asked Jesus into my heart. I had no Christian background. My parents were not Christian. I'd never been to church. And my sister, who went to London to live for a while, got saved. Came home one weekend to Brighton, where I lived. She said, I've been born again. I said, what on earth is that? Never heard the phrase in my life. And she told me what had happened and how she'd received Christ. And, and I'm arguing with her. And then I'm listening to her. And this is not a stranger, a door-knocking event. It's in my sister. I can see how changed she is. And the truth of it begins to dawn on me. He's alive. I can know forgiveness. 
I can have eternal life. I can call God Father. I said to her, why hasn't anybody ever told me this before? And in the end, that very evening, I knelt down and asked Jesus into my heart. And so it's almost a bit like, uh, to all my other idols, move over a bit, Jesus, come in. You know, just share my life. Be there for me. It wasn't really as it should be. The way Jesus solved this was he took over. He completely took over. So they said, we've run out of wine. So he said, right, collect the water pots and fill them with water. So what did he do? Jesus gave instructions that were specific, unreasonable, and required faith and obedience. That's how he solved it. Have you ever thought about that? That's how he solved the problem. He didn't solve it just by conjuring something up. He gave instructions that were specific, that were unreasonable, and required faith and obedience. And Mary, bless her heart, didn't she do well? Having been told, woman, she said, whatever he says to you, do it. That's almost the gospel. It would be silly to shut it down to such a phrase, but it's got so much in it. Mary, right from the beginning, when God, an angel, came to her said, you're going to have a child, whatever, it's like whatever he says to me, <laughs> let your word be fulfilled. She's got this incredible attitude. She honours God. And she says to them, whatever he says to you, do it. And that's where our problem is. What, what do you mean, whatever he says? Fill the water pots. It's unreasonable. It's unreasonable. It's stupid. I mean, Lord, listen, Jesus, Jesus, we've run out of wine. Okay? Fill the water pots. No, 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 listen, no, Jesus, uh, Jesus, hold on, listen carefully. It's wine we've run out of. We're struggling with no more wine. Take the water pots. I don't think you're listening, Jesus. There's no water problem. The problem is wine. We have run out of wine. Fill the water pots. I don't understand which part of fill the water pots don't you understand? See, it's, it's specific and it cuts right across. It's not like I don't understand. I, I don't understand why. I don't understand how. It's not I don't understand fill the water pots. But what? Whatever I say to you, do it. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's not about you understanding how water's going to become wine. It's you doing it because I say so you do it. You see, you could be even here this morning and it maybe you've been coming along a little, maybe you've attended an alpha, maybe a friend has invited you and said, look, we're Christian, why don't you come and look? Come and listen. And maybe you'll say, well, I don't know, you seem to have peace, I've noticed you at work. There's something about, something about you, I know, okay, you've got peace. I'd love to have peace. How do you get peace in a world like this? The economy, family. Can I have peace? So yeah, let me talk to you about the cross of Jesus. No, no, Jesus. Can I have peace? How do you get peace, you people? You can be happy. Yeah, we'd just like to talk to you about the cross. Listen, what happened? In Palestine, 2,000 years ago, by Roman soldiers. Come on, I'm talking about 21st century peace. 
No, no, you've just got to listen. You've got a bigger problem than you realised. And God's dealt with it breathtakingly. And you have to listen about the cross. You have to listen about how God took his beautiful son and he came down from heaven, pure, innocent. He saved so many. When they crucified him, they said he saved others. Yeah, they knew he saved others. The story's in here. People's lives, wrecked lives, transformed. He can't save himself. No, he couldn't save himself. He couldn't come off the cross. If he came off the cross, we got no message. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He took the punishment. He took the guilt. He took the shame. He cried out, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, all those Old Testament teachings, like you take a lamb, you lay your hands on the lamb, he takes away your guilt, the blood is shed. That's how Israel was taught. You make sacrifice for sin. But no lamb volunteered. No bull that was slaughtered to shed its blood knew what was happening. Now we have the perfect sacrifice. One who says, I delight to do your will, oh my God. I will drink this cup. I will take the place of sinners. But to get what God wants, you have to let God be in charge. He's not just there for you. He's not just there, oh Lord, we ran out of wine, can you source it? Yeah, I'll source it. Now do what I tell you to do. I never understood that when I became a Christian. I really didn't. I, 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 I was 16 and I just said, Lord, please save me. I thought, you know, you could ask Jesus into your heart. That was the jargon. And I asked Jesus, and I believe I felt him come in. I believe he did come to me. But I didn't change the way I lived. I didn't do what he said. So for about four years, I was a Christian, but I was a mess. I was a hypocrite. So I was living all kinds of nonsense, and I was in church on Sundays. I was hoping no one from church saw me on other times, because, you know, it was just this terrible double life. And... All kinds of horrible stuff happening here. But, you know, I went to church as well. And I'd never actually heard, whatever he says to you, do it. And I was in church one Sunday morning, and that guy's preaching, and it's just I mean, a tremendous word. And I was, I was in church, and it was almost like I was the only person there. It's like God was reading my mail. And he spoke right into my heart. And I felt God said to me, are you mine or not? Have I got your life? I thought, well, I didn't know that. I want your life. I want, I want you to follow me. And I almost felt this. It's now or never. That's the kind of way it came to me. It was so urgent. It was like Jesus was like urgently saying, I can solve what my life was getting so miserable. I didn't know what I was. Am I this or that? I don't know what's happening. I'm muddling through. It's pointless. I'm supposed to be a Christian, but so what? And I'm just hearing, I want your life, I want your life. And that day, I just went home. I, it was one of those days where it just, uh, it's quite a formal Baptist church I was in, a wonderful preacher. I just shook the guy's hand at the door and said, thank you, but I went home and I got on my knees in my bedroom and said, Lord, have my life. Just have my life. Actually, I lost all my friends because I got most of them to church for once, but church was a bit plain, boring. They said, how do you put up with this? And they just drifted off, drifted off. And at first it was very hard. My unsaved parents, I remember one night I was praying in my bedroom, my dad knocked the door, he said, son, you're taking this religion so seriously. You're losing all your friends. What are you doing? 
Yeah, it was tough. It was like I died. It really was. It was like the old Terry Virgo died. And I had no idea that there was an adventure waiting the other side. I had no idea. God had got incredible plans. He was going to turn water into wine, gallons of the stuff. He was going to give me an adventure story. Amazing things. And I'm just thinking, oh, this is terrible. Oh, this is awful. I'm losing all my friends, staying at home on a Saturday night. What's going on? And I'm just pleading with God to help me. But I, I could dance on that grave now. Say, God, thank you. Thank you for bullying me. Thank you for smashing my life up. Thank you for changing my values. Thank you for just taking over. Although it so, seemed so tough at the time. Oh, thank you, Lord. What an adventure you had lined up. Whatever he says to you. Have you done that yet? Have you, have you said to God, have my life. Just have my life. Do what you will with it. Have you done that yet? It's very possible to be a Christian and not have done that. That's true for me. I, I've never made a step like that where I said, Lord... You take over. You just take full control. You have my life. You fulfill your purpose in me. They had to start living that way. That whatever he says to you, do it. And so they begin to live that way with Jesus. So, so that they're fishing, they catch nothing. And he, and he says, well, throw the net the other side. They say, ah, we've fished all night. They could have said, listen, Jesus, we fishermen... You carpenter, forget it. They said, no, no, we fished all night. Nevertheless, at your word. They're beginning to learn this. Whatever he says to you, do it. And they throw in the net. Wow, look at this. And as you read the gospel stories, you see these men that Jesus took hold of, they get used to learning to live by what he says. It's a completely new lifestyle. You learn to live by what he says. So, right, as they're coming to Jerusalem, he says, now go, you'll find a room prepared and uh, if they say to you, uh, what do you want? What's the room? Is the room ready? They say, okay, we just go. He says, do it. Oh, there's the room. And he says, now go, and if, if uh, there's a donkey, go and undo the donkey. Oh, you just what, take someone's donkey? If they say to you, what are you doing? Say, the Lord has need. So you go and say, oh, it's the donkey. Well, okay. What are we? <laughs> the Lord has, oh, okay. You get used to just doing what he says. And things fall into place, fall into place. Because he knows, he's in charge, he rules, he leads. And he has the final word. So that we do what he calls us to do. And the outcome is breathtaking. They say, hey, most people, most people give you the best wine first. Then when you've had a fair bit and your discernment's not so brilliant, you slip in the worst stuff. But you've kept the best stuff. You kind of get your dignity back. You kind of get blessed. You kind of say, wow, you think, that wasn't me at all. We were running out. We had nothing left. We were in crisis. And we go from crisis to, what a party. We'll remember this party. Yeah, you were going to remember it for all the wrong reasons. We were going to live in shame. You remember the wedding where the wine ran out. But now we're in a wedding where God has manifested his power. Beloved, maybe here this morning you're feeling, Lord, you know, we haven't got much left. 
Maybe you're beginning to panic. Maybe you're feeling, I just haven't got what it takes. I haven't got what it takes. Maybe you've spoken to a close friend and said, I don't know if I can keep this up. I'm not sure I'm becoming much more. Because you feel, hmm. But have you heard Jesus say, come on, whatever I say to you, do it. Have you, have you let him take control? Have you let him speak in? Because he saves the whole day. He saves, the, he saves the wedding. He saves the party. But you have to do it his way. Let's stand to pray. Just draw near to him. He's here. The Lord Jesus is here. And dear friends, he knows you. The Bible says that nothing's hidden from him with whom we have to do. Nothing's hidden. And yet, the amazing thing is this. That knowing the depths of our heart, he loves us the same. And it's out of mercy that he came. He didn't come for impressive people. He didn't come for people who could do it anyway. He came for people who find it difficult. He came to save us because we realise we need saving. He didn't come to push some moral code down our throat. He came because he said, I know you can't cope with this on your own. But if you let me lead you, if you let me lead you, Give me the reins. Hand over control to me. That's how he solved this problem. He can solve your problems. If you just say, Lord, all right, I'll wait for you. I'll look to you. I I, I surrender control to you. See, sometimes we say, well, I know I did this years ago. I remember I was baptized and maybe, you know, as a teenager or something, you, you said, Lord, I really mean this. I give you my life. And you did that and you meant that. And then what happens as the years slip by, there's a crisis comes or a choice you have to make and you kind of grab the steering wheel and say, well, <laughs> I'm not going to miss this, Lord. I, I just want, I want this so much. And I'm scared you won't let me have it. So you take the wheel back. And then you get used to taking the wheel back. You get used to running it, although maybe years ago, You said, Lord, I give you my life. As time slipped by, you're running it again. And you just know it's not like it used to be. He's not so close. It's not like you hear his voice when you read the word anymore. It's not like you talk with him. It's not like I'm just doing the Christian thing. I'm turning up. I'm keeping the party going. But it's not like it was because you've, you've taken the steering wheel back. This morning I do believe that the Lord Jesus wants you to hear this word. And I do believe he wants to welcome you, to invite you back. Or maybe for the first time, like it was for me that Sunday morning, when I'd never, I realised I'd, I've never given God my life. I asked him into my heart, into my life, into the world I was running. It never occurred to me to abandon my control and let him make the choices. But when we let him make the choices, things start happening. Your Christian life, it may sound scary, but it's how it works. And he's full of tenderness.
and full of kindness. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here, Lord. We do welcome you. I do thank you. You know every life here. You know the church you're building here. You know your plans, Lord, for all our small groups, our life in the town. And Lord, you know where you're just winning some battles in our lives for your glory. And Father, I'm asking you right now, would you win some afresh? Would you draw us afresh to you? I just want to invite you, dear friends. If you, if you know God's spoken to you this morning and uh, you just know he's speaking into your heart and you see the opportunity for a fresh meeting with Jesus that could transform your running out experience into something new and something overflowing because you've really let him take over. If you, feel, if you feel God's spoken to you, I just want to invite you. We have time. We're not going to prolong this, though. If you know God's spoken to you and you want to respond, I would invite you just to slip out of your row and just come and stand here at the front and I'd love to pray over you. We won't prolong it, but would you come right now, please? Just say, Lord, I want to respond to you. Just come. Just slip forward. Musicians, would you come, please? Let's just come to meet with Jesus. Lord Jesus, we're coming to you. You might say in your heart, Terry, I don't know when I last read my Bible and really felt I heard Jesus with me. I don't know when I last felt that intimacy. Let's just come. Thank you so much. And if we've got uh, kind of any elders or small group leaders or people that could just line up with those who are coming, just come and would you please... Let's line up with them. Let's just stand with them. Let's pray with them in a minute. I'll just give you direction in a minute. If you could just pair up, that would be really helpful. Guys to guys and girls to girls as people are coming. Let's come to them to pray over them. That's right. Let's just see what we're doing. It's not easy for me to see, so you know. You may need to direct traffic, Graham, or somebody can see who's who here. Okay. Hallelujah. Okay, we're just going to pray. Going to pray. I'd be appreciate. I don't think we want to sing a big song because you can't hear people praying. But if you could just twinkle a bit, you know, that's lovely. We're going to pray, okay? Anybody else just feels, hey, I want to meet with Jesus. In a minute, also, when we start praying, if if you have back pain, okay, if you in your lower back down here. You have pain. Maybe you had it for years. And uh, maybe some, the pain shoots down your sciatic nerves. Sometimes you get back pain or neck or shoulder pain. If you know you have that this morning. Even standing for a length of time is difficult. And you just get this pain. I'd love to pray for you uh, as well. So if that's true of you, uh, I'd like to invite you as we just wind down a minute. Uh, to come and just perhaps sit on these chairs here in the front row over here and I'll come to you if you'd like to be prayed for I'd love to pray for you I believe if you have that lower back pain I believe you'll be healed I believe you'll be healed and so I invite you to come but let's just pray we just mentioned also some books out on the table there's one called God Knows You're Human it's good news eh? God Knows You're Human there's some other books out there you'll find helpful I hope let's just pray Father we thank you you love us you know us We thank you that you welcome us. Father, I thank you so much for these who have, Lord, just heard your voice calling to them, who feel the tenderness of your love, 
Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that, Lord, we, that you want us, Lord, that you even care, that, it, that you want to solve our problems. We thank you, look in compassion on us when we begin to get scared and panic. And Lord, you know us through and through. Lord, I just pray right now, Father, for these who have come forward to meet with you, that Jesus, you will come to them, you will embrace them, you will renew their faith. I pray you'll help them to pray prayers that give you the reins of their lives. The hand, the steering wheel back to you that say, Lord Jesus, I will do what you say. Even if I don't understand why water pots, why do I have to do this? Maybe some even here who have never been baptized. Why do I have to do that? Why water? What's that got to do with anything? I was, my parents christened me. Listen, whatever he says to you, come on, if you want to go on as a believer, whatever he says to you, that's the way it happens. That's how it works. That's how you get to know him. You don't argue. You don't pick and choose. You get to know Jesus. It's so exciting getting to know Jesus when you let him call the tune. You don't really, you don't get to know him without that. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, bless these who have come. Bless us as a church. I thank you for this church. Every person in it, every living stone, every people whose lives are getting interwoven in your purposes, bless them, God. Father, let your favor rest upon us. Let your power be imparted to us. Bless us, Lord. We want to meet with you even as we're praying now. Really receive help in the Spirit. Grace from God. Bless us, Jesus. Thank you, you're with us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Please pray lovingly and with faith for these who've come. Just pray prayers of love and hope and faith. And if you've got lower back stuff, oh, some people there already. If you've got lower back pain or shoulder and neck pain, I'd love to pray for you. So, uh, the meeting is over. Uh, that says coffee or whatever here. Uh, there are amazing books, coffee. Uh, some will be prayed for. You don't have to rush off. It's horrible weather out there. You don't need to rush off. Uh, we can still fellowship together for a while. Great. Thanks, Terry. Yeah, coffee's served in the foyer, so feel free to uh, stay around. Please don't feel you've got to rush off. There's uh, books on sale as well there. You can uh, uh, make use of those. And uh, we look forward to seeing you at 7 o'clock tonight at Riverside. And we're going to remain praying for a while in here. So the band are going to keep playing. We're going to stay praying for a while. So don't feel you've got to rush off. And uh, if you still want to respond to the Lord, there's opportunity for you to do that now. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.